is First Peter this week because it is one of my favorite books of the Bible, but it contains my favorite verse in the entire Bible. And that's First Peter 3.15, which says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Favorite verse in the Bible. Now those of you who watched online this week, to my horror, I stumbled through that verse. I'm reading, blah, 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 that, that verse of all the verses that I stumbled through, I stumbled through 1 Peter 3.15. For those of you who are new here, maybe not been here before, what we're doing is we're going through the Word of God in five years. And what we do is we read as a congregation together and through the week, six days a week, and our sermons are based upon that. This past week, we read through First Peter. And in First Peter 3.15, we get the word for something that I am passionate about, and it's called apologetics. Okay, the idea of the defense for our faith in Jesus Christ. It's found right there in that verse, 1 Peter 3.15. How many of you are aware of what apologetics are? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are aware of what apologetics is for? Some of you raise your hand. Some of you are like, now that you've asked it that way, I'm not so sure anymore. Well, hopefully that will become a little bit more clear as we walk through the scriptures together because First Peter is all about this idea of giving an answer. But there are some things that he goes through before we can even do apologetics. He lists two prerequisites before apologetics can take place. We discover this all throughout the letter of First Peter. And the first one is this, and it's said in the very first part of 1 Peter 3.16. It's setting apart Jesus as Lord. We've got to set apart Jesus as Lord. Let's take a look at some of the scriptures that we read this week that start us out with that idea, because it's found all throughout the book. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 starts out this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. He has sent Jesus for you for a redemption that never will spoil, rot, or fade. It's for you, kept in heaven. I believe that. Do you? He continues on down in verse 18. For you... Know that it wasn't with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and your hope are in God. 
Before we can even do apologetics, and that's the defense of the faith, we have to have the faith, right? If I don't have the faith, what am I going to defend? Apologetics doesn't do very good to those who don't believe, right? There are some who are out there who know more about apologetics than they know about their own faith. I think that's a wrong thing. As a matter of fact, there's whole fields of people who are out there who can give you every apologetic argument for the Christian faith, but they themselves don't know the faith well enough to defend it from the Word. You, can, you can't defend what you don't know. There's a prerequisite to apologetics. It's knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a believer in Christ, why you believe and why that's important. It's a prerequisite for doing apologetics. You have to have a relationship with Christ. You have to know him. You have to know everything about him, why all of that means something. You have to be convinced of his resurrection for our sakes, for our sin. before we can even do apologetics. But if we're convinced of that, that's the first prerequisite, setting apart Christ as Lord. The second prerequisite is something that he mentions all throughout the letter as well. You find these interlaced all throughout his his letter as he's writing. And the second one is this. We're called to live a set-apart life for Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of us setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, it's in our lives, how we work things out. Let's take a look at some of these verses real quick. First Peter, chapter 1, Be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Going just to the next chapter in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Down to verse 11. Same chapter. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love his life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So prerequisites for apologetics is number one is that we set apart Christ as Lord in our minds and in our hearts, but we also set apart Christ as Lord in our actions, right? Because I believe in Jesus, I'm going to live for him. Because I'm going to believe in Jesus, I'm not going to do the things I did before. These are prerequisites before apologetics can take place. 
Because if I'm not living for Jesus, who's going to listen to me? Right? If I say I believe in Christ, but I'm not doing the things that Jesus has called me to do, man, I, I can't hear you from the hypocrisy. And so Peter is very, very adamant as we read throughout his letter. He keeps going back to it. I have more scripture references I could say, but I think this is a good example. He again and again and again says, you should live this way because you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, therefore, this is how we live. You believe in Jesus, this is how we live. And why is that important? Why are these two prerequisites so important for us as we talk about this idea of apologetics? It's because of one painful reality that you and I need to be aware of. The world may not accept our apologetic. No matter how good your argument is, no matter how nice and loving you are, the world may not accept your apologetic. I don't care if you have the best studies, all of science is on your side, you've been nice to your neighbor, it doesn't matter. First Peter goes adamantly again and again and again to this point. First Peter 3, 13 through 17 says this. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they are fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. First Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For you spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Skipping down to verse 12 of the same chapter. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Nowhere in all of those admonitions are we guaranteed that our apologetic will convince anybody of the lordship of Jesus Christ, but rather preparing us for the fact that though we live for Jesus, though we have reasons for our belief, the world may yet still reject us. It's written all throughout the entire epistle of Peter. 
We'd love for it to be just, man, if it's just reasonable, if I could just let them know. And a lot of us want to do that. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Apologetics is an amazing thing. We should have a defense for our faith, a reasonable, rational defense. There's more than enough of it that's out there as far as the information is concerned. But if we don't live up to this reality, you know what a lot of times we do? Oh, I must not have done it well enough. If I were only nicer, if they weren't offended by my message, if I had more scientific data on my side that proved this point from this, there is nothing in the Scripture that guarantees that our apologetic will convince anybody of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is important that you understand that. Because I think too many times as Christians, we try to convince people into the kingdom of heaven. That is not our job. We are to give witness, and it is God's job through the burdening of the Holy Spirit to bring them to conviction of sin, to the cross of Jesus Christ, so that they may know Jesus and know what he's done for them. That's an act of God. And he might use apologetics. But the idea that your or my apologetic will be enough to convince is not found in the Scripture. And Peter actually refutes it. They think it's strange. That you don't jump into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. He's going to talk about apologetics. That's probably not where you thought I was heading with it. But I can't get past what Peter says, and this is where he mentions it. Over and over again. We should know the arguments. We're commanded to know the arguments, but please know the arguments aren't enough to change the hearts and minds of people. If you don't have that reality, you'll end up blaming yourself for not being good enough. You weren't in the first place. That's why Jesus died. Something maybe counterintuitive is this. Apologetics is not first for the non-believer. The apologetics is for the believer. Having the reason for our faith is for the believer. Why? So that we will continue to keep Jesus as Lord of our lives. The two most important apologetic arguments that you and I should know as believers in Christ, ones that should buttress our faith every step of the way, is number one this. The person of Jesus Christ, the historicity of him, the fact that he died, that he rose again, that we believe that this is a historical event where God broke into history to take upon himself through his Son our sin on the cross, that he died for you, that he died for me, that we know that he lived a real life, died a real death, and rose a real resurrection. Number one apologetic we should know. And all of the evidences for that to help buttress our faith because the world wants to knock that down. And you and I have to be convinced that that's true. 
Otherwise, Jesus will no longer be Lord. The second apologetic that we should absolutely know is the authority and the inerrancy of the Word of God. Is the authority and the inerrancy of the Word of God. Second Timothy, that we did not just not too long ago, but Second Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen through seventeen says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Why? Because within the Scripture we have the testimony of Jesus Christ, the one who was to come, the one who was to die for your sin, for my sin. This is either an accurate testimony of it or not. It's prophetically given, so we go back to the Old Testament prophets, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, and we see the coming of Jesus Christ being promised by God. Either that is true, or it is not true. There is no in-between. And this isn't a matter of, read the red letters. How many of you ever heard, hey, just stick with the red letters, because those are Jesus' words. How many of you ever heard that? Some of you have. That's a mantra that's going around right now. I just stick with Jesus' words. What does this say? All Scripture is God-breathed. All. God-breathed. Who breathed it? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is much God as Jesus is. So guess what? Not only are the red letters important, but the black ones are important too. They're just as important as one another. And yet, we have those today who would try to convince us that some of the black letters are not as important as some of the red letters. They try to pit Paul against Jesus. They try to pit the Old Testament against the New Testament. They try to say that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Either all Scripture is God-breathed, because when Paul is writing that down by the Holy Spirit, putting that forth, he's referring to Old Testament Scriptures, revealing the New Testament Scriptures about what Jesus has done. And so when he says all Scripture is God-breathed, that God breathed it out, that the Holy Spirit had men write it down, that you and I have to be equally convinced that God is telling the truth about himself, telling the truth about us, telling the truth about our predicament, telling the truth about his solution and his glorification and the future that we have with him. Do we believe all of that? That's from everything else. Those two things need to be settled in our mind. Do you know why? Because you start breaking those two things down, Jesus starts not becoming Lord. Young lady, a member of this church many years ago, many of you know her, I won't mention her by name, came through my youth group, passionate it seemed about Jesus. 
went out on the mission field. Many, many of us supported her out on that mission field. Found herself in a lot of hard situations. Over time, she began to question the necessity of Christ and the goodness of God concerning other people needing to know Christ. This all happened according to her own testimony, which is online so I can share it with you, while she was out in Nepal. She's staying with people who are there that she's on this mission that she's supposed to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with, but she's with these people who are there, and they're so nice to her. They take her in, they share everything that they have in a way that she doesn't see in America at all. And it gets her wondering to herself, why do these people need Jesus? They're such good people. And doubt begins to come into her mind concerning that that would only grow as she makes her way back to the States. In all of this, you know what she didn't do? She didn't go back to these two apologetics of saying, okay, I'm having doubt, so I need to be sure about the person of Jesus Christ and the authority of the Word of God that is telling the truth. Instead, she allowed those feelings of, wow, these people are so good, I don't know that they necessarily need Jesus Christ. Which led to a crisis of faith, and now she is in a position right now where she no longer acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior. And though I'm not mentioning her by name, many of you know exactly who I'm talking about. And how did all of this happen? Because within that apologetic that we just talked about, that defense of the faith, things were happening on the side here. And these two things that we talked about, the raising of Jesus from the dead for our sins, for our situation that was lost, and the inerrancy of the Word of God came into question on a sideways trip through her feelings because other people treated her nice and she wondered why they needed Jesus. Luke chapter 11, Jesus actually addresses this very issue. Luke chapter 11, he, he talks about, hey, which of you fathers, if your son asked for some bread, you'd give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, you'd give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, you'd give him a scorpion? And then Jesus says these amazing words, If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? Do you notice what Jesus just said? Jesus said evil people can do good things. Evil people might be able to do really good things. They do such good things, but they're still evil. They're still bent against God. They're still standing, and they're in the position of wrath 
unless they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what this young lady did not understand at the time where she was at in Nepal, that the grace of God could move through her in that position, realizing that these good people, these people who could do good things, were still in need of a Savior in Jesus Christ. And God had, in His providence, placed her there to share that message. Oh, what a difference an apologetic makes. Do we really believe what God says in his word about his nature? Do we really believe what God says in his word about our nature? Do we really believe what God says in his word about our need? Do we really believe that he is speaking ultimate reality? No matter what the world around us might be saying. Because the world thinks it's strange that you don't jump into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. See, they want you to live as they're living and do as they're doing. And the only ones who are going to stand as the culture leans more and more into insanity is to set apart in our hearts Jesus Christ as Lord to know the reason why we believe what we believe and to realize that no matter how great our arguments might be, the world around us might not believe it anyway. They're going to heap abuse on you and they're going to tell you you're wrong and they're going to tell you you're hateful Think about any subject, any of the controversial subjects that are out there today. And you think about God's word and understand the apologetic we should have according to his word as opposed to what we're going to hear from the world. Transgenderism is a huge thing today. It has affected people who have been a part of our congregation because they've listened to the lies of the world. That God did not create male and female. That male and female are not just biology, but there's this garbage stuff called gender. You know what? From their point of view, I'm never going to make sense. Never. There's male, there's female. That's what God has created. They're created complementary for the purpose of creating a family. That's why males are always a male. And females are always a female. They're created for the purpose of procreation. A male's not going to become a female, and a female's not going to become a male. Those things, according to God, are sinful. They need repentance, a turning away. That's why Jesus came and died. So different than the sin that we deal with. Take the same thing with abortion. Word of God says life begins at conception. World doesn't accept that apologetic. I could prove it scientifically. Ninety-six percent of biologists who are out there who have these 
polls that are out there, when does life begin? And 85% of them are pro-choice. But they agree that life begins at conception. If it were about the apologetic, that should be more than enough to convince. But it's not. The apologetic isn't for them. The apologetic is for us so that we keep Jesus as Lord and on the throne of our hearts. We can talk about same-sex marriage. We can talk about any of the cultural icons of the day. And for us as believers, not to know the answer biblically, scripturally, puts us in a very bad position when our faith is put to the test in hard circumstances. This is what happened to that young lady because she wasn't ready. Because she wouldn't go back to this apologetic again and again that the person of Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is, that he came down from heaven so that he could die on a cross for you and me, shed his blood for you and me because we were deserving of death. And by his grace, He's shown that he had conquered both death and the grave by rising again. And we can trust not just that, but we can trust the testimony of the Word of God and that what the Word of God says is true, no matter what the culture says around us. See, apologetics isn't for them. It's for us. So that we keep Jesus on the throne. Now, can apologetics be used for them? who don't know Jesus? Can God use that in such a way to to break through a hardened heart that would not consider Jesus in any other way? Absolutely he can. But that's still the work of God. The command in 1 Peter 3.15 is for us. And just to remind us, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In verse 16, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Notice the focus of that is all toward the believer. Apologetics is for you. So if you have questions, you have to go back to these two fundamental ones first and then seek out God's answer through his word concerning whatever issue that's got you going sideways. Why do bad things happen to good people? What's happening in Ukraine? I've got to be convinced of these two things first, that Jesus Christ is Lord and his word is absolutely true. Once I have those two things down, I go back to that for my apologetic, for all of my questions, 
Why is there evil in the world? How can good people do bad things? And why are good people that are doing good things sentenced to death in hell? I have all of those answers in the Word of God that He's already given to us if I will use only that apologetic that says these two things are true. I know Christ Jesus is Lord and I'm going to live for Him. Because I know the world's going to try and get me not to. So what you struggling with? Worried about evolution? Creation? Our sexual ethic of the age? Why bad things happen to good people? As a believer in Christ, the first two things you double down on is, do I know that Jesus is Lord? Do I trust his word? And it's from that foundation I seek my answers. See, I double down on faith. I don't go to all these other podcasts that try to undermine it. Because there are answers. But they're predicated on that foundation. And the world is not going to accept it. So we need to know why we believe what we believe. Not for their sake, but for ours. Do you stand with me? I'm going to guess that a lot of us at some point in time have tried to learn apologetics for the sole purpose of giving an answer to somebody else so that we can win them over for Jesus, which is not a bad thing. I'm also going to guess that many of us in thinking about knowing those arguments have never thought that those arguments are really for ourselves so that we can keep Jesus as Lord. We can have trust in the Word of God. You wonder why we tell you to be in the Word all the time? That's because the Word of God reveals who Jesus is so that we can tell the world about Him. Our apologetic is based in the Word and what He says because what He says is true. Do we really live that out? Remember, before we can do apologetics, Jesus has got to be Lord of our lives and we have to be living for Him. And we have to recognize that our best apologetic, no matter what it is, may not convince the hardened heart of somebody across the table from us. About to have Thanksgiving in a couple months. Two things you're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving, politics and religion. How many of you break that rule? Yeah, a lot of you guys do. You know what? It's okay to talk about it, but here, recognize your apologetic may have no effect. That apologetics for you. To keep Jesus on the throne. To pray for these people. Because them changing their life to God is an act of God. Is a work of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that. Don't think you can argue them into the kingdom of heaven. Can God use the argument? Yes. But it's not your work. It's his. Don't forget that. In the meantime, if you have those questions and you learn these apologetics for the good of your faith so that you can have more confidence that Jesus truly is Lord. God, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for this 
opportunity to share about what it means to defend the faith of Jesus Christ, that we might have faith in Jesus Christ first and foremost. Be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that your word is true. Every single word from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, that this is your word prompted by the Holy Spirit of God, that we can trust everything that it says about you, about us, about our condition, about the salvation that you've provided in Christ, and the future for those who know you and don't know you. May it motivate us, O God, in the name of Jesus to want to know reasons for why we believe what we believe so that we can share with a lost and dying world that may not believe even with the best arguments. God, we ask that you would break down their minds and their hearts, dear Heavenly Father, for this hardness that's there against your message and against your servant, Jesus Christ, because we want to see them redeemed. We want to see them changed. We want to see their life be different, but it won't happen until they too are convinced that Jesus is Lord. And so work it first through us, Lord. Not just in our belief, but in our actions. And may our lives be a testimony to a lost and dying world that will have to give an account to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so couple of good things we got going on today first of all if you have prayer for anything our elders are going to be up front we want to pray for you so please come up front any of those things if you need resources for some of the stuff we talked about today please come talk to us well i got lots of resources i can give you resources okay so please come and talk to us other than that we have an awesome baby shower we would love for you to be in the foyer with okay the foyer that's gonna be awesome so please be a part of that as well but god bless you go out this week live for jesus and know that the best apologetic is the one that god is teaching you to build you up in faith in christ god bless you have a great week